And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 281 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I am Angela Bones Bullock. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, kind of a slapdash <laughs> situation, <laughs> but we'll we'll make it work. I mean, I mean, you say that like we didn't plan this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, my weekend is... just became insane. Yeah, well, mine too. Mine too. Uh, mine was today was my first day back at uh, my day job. After two years. Um, nice. Yeah. But then what really threw the rigid of the works, we had an unexpected meeting after, which the subject matter I'm not mad about. It's something I'm glad was covered, but like did not know about it. So I ended up leaving work an hour late. And Anyway, we're here now. We're we in are. The, we are in the moment. For uh, those listening who might have missed us the last two weeks, hi, thank you for your patience. Uh, I was in tech and then opening Heathers, and Brian had, I think, just multiple systems melting at work, and and uh, now is on vacation. So, all is well here. We just we just needed to take two weeks. We needed to be humans. Yeah, that's the that's that's the key thing about uh, I don't know. I feel like indie stuff has now especially with stuff like patreon where it's not determined on the algorithm it's like it's very much like I, there's much more understanding as long as there's communication of like all right you, you know we'll see you in two weeks you like you know we'll we'll be here we're still your fans <laughs> like yeah yeah i uh in 280 episodes we, we missed one week and then we proceeded to miss two in a row so it's weird for us from that standpoint but yeah. Honestly, I, I don't feel badly about it. Just, I appreciate people who, who are chilled. Yeah. Let's talk about some comics. Let's. Let's start with Checkmate number four. This is written by Brian Michael Bindus with art by Alex Maleev, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Josh Reed. The last issue ended with a tease that we were going to learn who Mr. King is. And I'm just going to say right up front, we did not get that information this meeting. Uh, or this well, this meeting, this issue. Uh, well, that's partly because shenanigans happens and Checkmate gets tagged. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's... I think I think the scene between Green Arrow and Manhunter on the satellite is my favorite part of the series so far. Yeah, that was yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, where they're just like, uh, well, especially like after it, so the Leviathan pops up on the old satellite and uh can we curse on this show? I'm not sure the ratings yes. Okay. Oh yes, oh yes, uh, oh yes. Okay, so they go up so Leviathan uh 
Guardian and I forget the other guy's name go up to the old jail. Vertigo? I think it was Count Vertigo. No, it was um I don't I don't think but yeah. <laughs> two t- two members of of Leviathan go up to the old jail satellite and uh you have yeah, you have Green Arrow and Manhunter up there just like surprise motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but then, so once they do make them retreat, they're like, okay, well now they know we're here and know their plans, so we might want to also exit. <laughs> like, there goes Oliver Queen's secret bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, you know, I definitely, uh, appreciate the layout of my house because I do have my own, my own bathroom, so... I have keys to most of the theater that I work in, and I'm not saying that when I have time, I have access to one that nobody else has access to that I do secretly use. Yeah. But I'm not saying I don't. Yeah, you just, you make sure there's only one copy of that key. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's, I, I really like the, mis- like, the mystery doesn't feel, um, uh, tacked on or anything. It's very kind of core of like I think so people figuring what everybody else not ex- we already know who the players are but like still don't know what they're doing yet yeah because um, Leviathan Rising kind of set all that up of like who Leviathan was and kind of their goal well and it's interesting too because I think the last couple of issues of Justice League which we'll we'll talk about in a minute they make clear that they're set after Checkmate is over and done. Mm -hmm. But other than knowing who the Demon Rose is, I I feel like that doesn't cost this book anything. Like, I think there's some really clever structuring at play here to make sure this still holds up, even though it's happening at the same time as stuff that happens after it. Yeah. Also, just Alex Maleev art. Alex Maleev is one of my favorite comic book artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I I happen. It's um. Well, in terms of, of the inks and colors on top of it, it's it's got a sketchy quality, but it's not unreadable. How sometimes sketchy quality can get. Yeah, it's all still very clear. Um, yeah, I I really like the art as well. I I always regret I did not know anyone who was at New York Comic Con a, a few years back when he was still uh, he was still doing some work for covers or something for Secret Empire, and he had this great print of Doctor Doom in his in his Secret Wars armor, and I'm like I wanted this print so badly, and that was the only place to get it, and I didn't know anyone who could grab it for me. Uh, yeah. Someday, someday I will own Alex Maleev art. There was a, I have a, um, I, uh, so at my, the comic shop I was going to at the time, they had a midnight release for, uh, Fantastic Four number one, uh, mm. Dan Slots. And they had a drawing for a one in 1000 variant. So you show up, you get your issue, and then you get put into the drawing. Well, I ended up winning the drawing at a friend of mine went to, um, I couldn't go. And a friend of mine went and uh, she was like, can I get anything signed for you? So I sent her that, uh, I sent with her that variant to get signed by Dan Slott. (laughs) Um, 
because yeah, I, I very thoroughly went through that guest list of like, all right, I can't go, but like, I'm still gonna get my shit. Yeah, yeah, that was that was smart. I'm only like, I'm not a big jealousy person, but just a, just a little bit. It's oh yeah, it's like that's <laughs> in terms of uh, in terms of finding um, and getting to know y'all at certain POV. Um, that is one thing. It's like y'all are the first real hardcore group of nerds I've had in a long time. Like I could talk some of it with my uh, with my usual set of friends. But not yeah, no, it's like they're not gonna be jealous that I have a a, a, <laughs> a, a slot a side ten slot. So it's like it makes me feel a little good. It's like yes. I have also just realized we talked about this yesterday. I gave you the heads up, or I gave you the heads up yesterday. We talked about this just before recording, and then I didn't ask the question. Mm-hmm. We always ask first time guests. How did you get into nerdy stuff and comics and all that jazz? Um, so I'm gonna date myself. Uh. Pretty much the, I guess, start of this nerdy renaissance in the early 2000s. Um, specifically, most importantly, like a little bit the X Men movies, because that did, X One did come out in uh, 2000. But then Spider Man, Sam Raimi's Spider Man came out. Uh, that really cemented it. I started buying those. Um, $15 newsprint trades of the 60s mm. comics. Yeah. Uh, started reading the couple of books of comic history I could find, so learning all about Kirby and Stan Lee and Ditko and all those guys. Um, and then especially the wider world of nerddom. Uh, also, of course, I can't not mention the Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> the, that was the first time I got mad at a movie was... Go, I didn't know that it was a series, so I, I so I go in. My my family goes to see uh, Fellowship of the Ring. Um, we, we sit down and we watch it. And of course, there's that cliffhanger of like, okay, we're walking into the distance. Not you know, uh, as well as Boromir's dead and everything split up and terrible. Uh, <laughs> and then I was like, I was like, well, that's that's not an ending. And they're like, my mom's like, oh, they made another one. And I was like, well, when's it come out? A year. I'm nine years old. So a year is forever. <laughs> I was like, this is... I, uh, I didn't have the exact same experience with Fellowship of the Rings. But I had been, like, homesick from school or something. And it had not been on my radar in theaters. Mm-hmm. So I wound up, like, at 10, 11 at night. Getting it on, like, I got the okay from my parents and got it through, like, pay-per-view on the, the satellite. Oh, yep. Not realizing that it was a three and a half hour long movie. Yeah, it's a lot, like, yeah. okay, okay, I, I'm good, I'll I'll watch this and then go to bed. And at, like, one, I'm like, okay, there can't be that much left. <laughs> and then at two, I'm like, okay, it feels like there's actually a lot left. And then at 2.30, like... Wait, that's it? I need yeah, more. Yeah. And credits. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it's, uh... Well, what's interesting, or just, since we're talking about that, then we can go back to the comics, but, uh, the, that's, the ending to the Fellowship of the Ring is the first chapter of the Two Towers. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, when I, when I did read, I was like, that's weird, but okay. 
I actually wrote like basically my senior paper in in high school on the Lord of the Rings as a modern mythology because I remember like I, I there was this bonus feature in the extended edition about Tolkien wanting to create a modern mythology and like that's mm-hmm. where I got the idea for this from so yeah I I kind of drowned myself in Lord of the Rings for like six months and have not watched or read it since. Yeah. Uh, fair. Fair. Yeah. Every now and then I think about it, but I'm like, I just don't want to sit still that long now. Yeah. It's a uh, it's a lot. I have I have a lot of the, the supplementary books that I have yet to get through. Um gonna well it's like well i have a list of sci-fi series i have to read <laughs> uh first of course being dune i'm about halfway through that first book uh because that's a, a ticking clock with uh the new movie yeah i i tell myself i'm gonna read dune about once every two years it's so i've read enough to say it's a hell of a lot easier than you would think yeah it's, i I've started it mm-hmm. about four or five times. It's not bad. I just, the life I live, it's hard to find time to sit down and read a whole novel. That's that's fair. Uh, the the snippets I've gotten uh, from the Discord and everything, it's like, yeah, you, you're a busy man. Yeah. Uh, especially now that, maybe not the pandemic's over, but that we're pretending it is. Yeah. Anyway, comics. Let's get back to comics. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned Justice League. I know you didn't get totally caught up here, but let's talk a little bit about the last couple of issues. Yeah. Um, that's... Oops, all death strokes? <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a hell of a thing. Um, and they also keep screaming checkmate. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's just it's just a buttload of death strokes and they keep saying checkmate and then and that is why uh Lois Lane's secret brother then thinks checkmate is behind the death strokes so is evil but it's like no check of course like checkmates all the good guys and everything but it's like <laughs> uh which that I found interesting um I th- I can't remember the first two issues, but the uh, when she call after the confrontation uh, with her brother in issue three, where oops all death strokes, uh, but right before that happens, her brother shows up. Lois Lane's brother shows up, and then this issue in, in issue four, he uh, she calls him, and he, he answers the phone. It's like well. I would ask how you got this number, but you're Lois Lane, so what's what's up, sis? Uh, and then she also does, and then she, he reveals that he thinks Checkmate is bad, but she doesn't reveal to him, oh, no, Checkmate isn't bad, I'm part of it. Like, she doesn't just throw that down. So that's, Which feels appropriate, right? Like, if you're part of a shadowy organization, you maybe don't flash that badge. Well, and then, right, but it's like, because at one point you're like, well, it's your, it's her brother, why not? But it's also her brother she just found out about, uh, where, oh, was it, I think it was in the, was it in the Checkmate issue or the Justice League issue, where in a snowman is this, is his, uh, birth certificate, and that's how she finds out about him. That was in Checkmate. It's been weird, because, like, 
issue three, I think, of Checkmate had the Who is the Demon Rose cover. Uh-huh. And then did not mention him at all. Yeah. But the week before that, in, like, issue 65 of Justice League, he was like, Hey, Oliver, I'm Leo Lane. I'm also called the Demon Rose, and I'm Lois's brother. Nice to meet you. Yeah, and then Deathstrokes. <laughs> and then, then, then oops, all Deathstrokes. This Deathstroke thing is my favorite thing about this book, just because I love the idea of taking like the best assassin in the universe mm-hmm. and just ruining his reputation with incompetent henchmen yep. in his costume. Mm-hmm. It's like, if Deadpool had to kill someone's street cred, here is how he would do it. Mm-hmm. Which it, uh, well, it, one of the issues, DC related, because um, it's a uh, Robin also came out this week um where in that book there's also his deathstroke's daughter is there in the Mm -hmm. tournament that's going on in that book but then there's also this other antagonist respawn yeah respawn that has the inverse costume of deathstroke so i'm wondering if that also has something to do with it or just i feel like it's gotta yeah um because aren't see, I know Robin is Josh Williamson, Deathstroke Incorporated. Mm. Sound of Alex rifling through comics is also Williamson. Okay. So I bet that there is some connection there. Yeah. Um, I I uh not not to not talk about. Uh, Justice League anymore, but I've been really liking the Robin book. Um, it is very good. Yeah, it's... I f- feel like that um, Damien is about... is, is like on the cusp of like becoming his own. Kind of like the uh, Nightwing era for, for Dick Grayson. Like, that first outing. I think I, I think feel like you're right. That. I think you're right about that. This is, this is something Brian and I have talked about a bit with this book, that the New 52 early, and it felt like this kind of heyday for Damien, where he'd sort of gotten out of the just bratty kid phase mm-hmm. and started doing interesting things, and then into Rebirth. But there was this moment in Rebirth where, like, it's really when they aged up Jonathan Kent. Yeah. And suddenly, like, you no longer had this core relationship that helped ground Damien outside of Bat Family drama. Yeah. I think Damien, more than anybody, is actually who suffered from that story beat. Mm. So seeing him find that footing now, seeing Williamson and Tom Taylor sort of reestablish that relationship just now, it's the same age difference, but now the other one is the older one of the two. Yeah. That sort of thing. Uh, has helped, but also seeing him just off doing his own, like, weird battle royale mystery. Yeah. It's a good place for him. Yeah, uh, it it definitely is. Well, and specifically what I really, really liked about um this this week's issue is it it does show him, like, he, he talks to Dick, uh, talks to Dick Grayson, uh, because the, all the, uh, all the other Robins track him down and it's like well we're here to bring you home and he's like fuck off uh <laughs> um so they all chase him through the city that he's in um but uh dick 
kind of gets in front and 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 talks to him one on one. Uh, and he's like, like, look, like I know you gotta, uh, like I do know you gotta be your own person. Like that's you know that's a a point that's clearly has come, as well as they talk about um. Uh, the death of Alfred, because yeah. Damien is was like was there like right right in the right. room, and what I the line I really liked in this issue was when Damien said, "I've been surrounded by death my entire life, but that's the first time I understood it." Yeah, that was I think that was a really great moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also then that is followed up by Dick saying, "Uh." Look, like nobody else can understand because they were all Bruce's Robin. He said, You were my Robin. So like, you know, go go get him, champ. Yeah. Um, just that 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 was that was an amazing scene between between those two. We're in a Damien Golden era. We are we are also in a Dick Grayson Golden era. Oh yeah. Tom Tom Taylor's run uh on Nightwing. Um, has gotten me to care about him outside of the uh, T died the show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I, unless you have any more to say about that issue, I guess since we're mentioning Tom Taylor, uh, <laughs> the um, uh, the son of Kal-El issue number three. I have not gotten to this yet this week. Oh, okay, it's yeah. Uh, well, all right, it's what. Well, I'll just say that issue three is great. Um, I really loved issue two. Uh, mm-hmm. If if listeners are not caught up, you should. It's only three issues in. Yeah, uh, it's incredible. It is one of my favorite books right now. I know, shock. Tom Taylor, one of my favorite <laughs> books. Who'd have thought? Yeah, it's like well, especially like. So he made. He said his thesis was like okay. It's Jonathan Kent, a younger Superman, but not only a younger Superman, but one that has to be one for the 21st century. Because, of course, Clark was created in, in 1938. And not saying he hasn't adapted with the times, but, it, you know, there's there's still something to be said for a, a, a new version. Right. Um, <laughs> so in issue two, I think he really hit it, where um, he befriends, like, a... a, a an anonymous journalist and, and by anonymous. I mean like the group, cause he does his broadcast yeah. with the, with the mask. Uh, but he is a legit journalist and like, in like covering things mainstream won't do kind of like standing rock, uh, did, um, like all those, uh, new media journalists. Mm-hmm. But, what, uh, so he's like texted. him was like, Hey, these, uh, refugees are about to drown and no government's going to save them because they don't want to piss off the dictator that they're running from. So John just goes and rescues it and then stares down the cops that tried to arrest them. And yeah. He, yeah. And he's like, I loved it so much. Yeah. And he's just like, you're, you're not going to do that. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, okay. Um, and then he goes to a protest later <laughs> where they're like, where uh, they're like, well, they're, they're, an unlawful gathering is like, well, I'm gathered with them, but you're you. And it's like, I know who I am, officer. You get to arrest me, and <laughs> he does. <laughs> Clark then go bails him out, and <laughs> it's, 
Um, I, I did really love that where, yeah, just su- like they're both in their super suits. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> did you did you catch the connection, by the way, with uh, the journalist figure, Jay Nakamura, and a character who showed up the same week in Checkmate? No. So I only caught this because I read them back to back. Uh, at one point after, after the whole Lois Lane Superman shows up to bring her back from, from checkmate thing, Mm -hmm. uh, Shaw turns to the scientist by him and says, you're excited because you just met Superman, Agent Nakamura. Oh shit. I want to know if that is an enormous coincidence or on purpose. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like it has to be on purpose. Yeah. Because it would be too big a coincidence otherwise. Well, I mean, well, then let's uh, cover another twist that was in the most recent issue of Checkmate, which is Talia al Ghul is a mole uh, for for Leviathan in Checkmate. Yeah. Uh, Unless she's a triple agent. That is entirely, because I I know she doesn't suffer fools and was humiliated, so I I can't imagine she would just let that slide fully. Yeah. So that is a Um, possibility. While we are bouncing around, let's bounce back to Robin for a second. Do you have any guesses at who, uh, oh, what is her title? Mother Blood? Mother? Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the head of the tournament, the... Lazarus tournament. Not yeah. Mother Soul. Mother Soul, yeah. No, I don't know. Um I feel like this is too easy, but there was one thought that came to me as I was reading it. Mm-hmm. Have we ever met Talia's mother? No, I guess we haven't, and I think I had I may have had the same thought about something with something Roz said earlier in in Robin because uh, Robin gets killed and shoved off the uh, island and then is rescued by Roz and I think I think something Roz said that could be a possibility. I really feel like this is sort of. Some weird grandparent marital squabble. Oh God, I can I can only imagine where where your your nickname is the demon, <laughs> uh, and you call your organization like the House of the Demon, like <laughs> or like you know a version of it. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's got to be a hell of a thing. Uh, well, then that would also explain why the League of Assassins would then give her that book. And how she'd have this, like, secret League of Lazarus knowledge that nobody seems to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, yeah, yeah, she gave them, like, a to get this book, which, like, is, uh, she, yeah, she gave some of the Lazarus pit on the island to the agents that she got it from, and uh, Damon made the comment of, like, yeah, like, what? Like, what the hell's in that book that is worth Lazarus water? Like, um, yeah, I, I think, was this issue six or seven? This is six. Yeah, so I think a big revelation is probably going to happen. 
I think a lot of questions are going to get answered next issue, maybe issue after. Probably. That sounds about right. Because uh, they seem to be sometimes pushing, on certain books, they seem to be pushing um, arcs to eight issues sometimes. Yeah. Um, so that's a interesting from a publishing perspective, because for decades they've just done six, alright, and volume one. <laughs> this... I feel like the more we get, though, eight and twelve issue miniseries the easier it is to be like, you know what, let's just have volume one be eight issues. Let's take a little longer. Yeah. Well, I thought that too, but that apparently Grant Morrison's season two for Green Lantern is uh, was published in two six issues, even though that's one yeah. story. So I don't know. That's true. Um, this, this would be an interesting place to publish because it's like the last panel is just like Damien's like, I know who she is. And then... To be continued. <laughs> I'll bring that back up when we get to Adventure Man in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, see, some other DC stuff we have not talked about yet. We didn't touch on the Justice League dark parts of Justice League, uh, which I love because Ram V is a genius and Sumit Kumar and Romulo Fayardo's art is gorgeous. Yeah. Especially that Call of the Dark World issue where they lean into, like, sci-fi outer space aesthetics in this really pulpy way that is so different than what this book has done so far, but still feels very, very pulpy, so not totally out of left field. Mm-hmm. I wonder where the Justice League Dark story is falling, because John Constantine uh, babysits uh, I'm gonna butcher this pronunciation because I can't I'm not confident about Nami the Brian Michael Benes's new character oh Naomi Naomi yeah Ah. don't at me on Twitter uh (laughs) anyway so John Gossetine uh babysits her parents because they're visiting her in the Hall of Justice and it gets attacked um I did get enough through the most recent issue to where like that kind of gets wrapped up that battle gets wrapped up and then uh dr fate is like john constantine is where he took your <laughs> he took your parents where uh and he goes through and it's just like it is like you better not touch any of my stuff uh which was hilarious just that was fantastic and then constantine being like constantine being like and maybe i used your bathroom <laughs> or maybe not You'll never know. <laughs> I don't know why bathrooms are a thing lately in Bendis's books, but it's funny. Yeah, no, that was a no that that was a good one. It also something that feels very John Constantine, where it's like, I didn't touch your stuff, but I did take a shit in your toilet, which is absolutely wrecked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm curious to see where the Justice League Dark stuff wraps up too, because Rom V did announce, I think, last week that December will be his last issues on it and on Catwoman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I think he's, no, I'm thinking of uh, James on Batman, who's also leaving at that time. Yeah, I think his last Batman is November. Mm-hmm. Uh, so come yeah. the new year, be a good time to jump on the Bat books. Yep. See, we've also got Lock and Key, The Sandman, Helen Gone, number two. I did not read this. I, I always do Lock and Key in trade. 
Mm-hmm. What do you think about it? Um, I probably should have reread the first issue, but it is very much lock and key centered with Sam and sprinkled in. Uh, I've read most of lock and key a long time ago. Um, so like I had to Google which member of the lock family this was. Mm. Um, and I don't, I think she was in a, a trade that I didn't get to, or I just totally blanked on. I don't know. But yeah, there was a recent three issue mini series called impale battalions go mm. that I think feeds directly into this. Yeah. Well, so one thing that was funny was, um, there is this hilarious character that I think in that mini, uh, she kills by using the shrinking key, or the doll key, stabbing it with a pencil, and so his punishment in hell is the pencil through his gut. He has to write all of his sins down. <laughs> uh, um, which was great, and then he joins Lucifer's uh, hell army when. Uh, Lucifer and um, I forget her first name, but this this lock, uh, they do battle because she's trying to save her. The premise is she's trying to save her her little uh brother's soul. Mm. Well, I say little brother, looks little, but has been dead for ten years, so now she's older. But you know. Kind of a Supergirl, Superman situation. Yeah, except for uh, not time dilation through uh, the theory of relativity. (laughs) One just died and went to hell. (laughs) Sometimes that's how it goes. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, The ending was was very sweet. Um, Did feel very self-contained. Like I said, I, I Googled some, but in terms of my knowledge of was Sandman... I was able to um, uh, pretty follow along and enjoy the story, uh, especially all the different um, all the different cameos. Uh, The um, did you read the first issue, or you haven't read? Nope, you haven't read either. Nope. Um, The Corinthian makes a cool appearance, (laughs) an enjoyable one. yeah, it's it. Uh, I would definitely say pick it up. It's only the series is only two issues. That's another trend I've noticed is they're publishing miniseries, but it's only two issues. So it's like, why not just publish it as a graphic novel? Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like with Lock and Key, especially though, they do so many one or one and two issue things that I feel like at some point they've got to put out just like a compendium of. Here's all the side stuff we've done since we wrapped up the original series. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what Hellboy's done in the past for their yeah. their short stories and everything. Um, uh, well, well, I guess, so, it's not new this week, but I got it this week. I just need to shout this out because it just made my high school self so happy. Um... <laughs> The uh, Batman versus Bigsby from <laughs> from Fables uh, that miniseries has started, and nice. it was uh, the the first issue was mainly Batman centered so far, but 
I'll just say the issue ends with Batman just punching the hell out of Bigsby. <laughs> um, I it's I think that has set up a good, uh, interesting, uh, an interesting mystery, which will probably start to get resolved next issue when like Bigsby is like, I'm not a villain, I'm a sheriff. You're a detective. Let's you know, team yeah. up. Uh, so I guess the, well, the last DC thing I think on my list is Harley. Yes. Let's talk about it. Uh, I've been so bad at naming creative teams this episode. Written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Riley Rosmo, colors by Ivan Placencia, and letters by Darren Bennett. This book feels so much like a cartoon in the best possible way. Yes. Um... Yeah, it's it's very much what we're, t- what we're talking about a, a Damien Renaissance. I think the past couple of years, um, since Margot Robbie fought tooth and nail against DC to give Harley a decent story, yeah, <laughs> um, they've listened and it's trickled down into the comics. Um, we have, of course, the wonderful uh, animated show, which uh, also has its own comic as like a season 2.5 type thing which that uh i've read the first issue of that's amazing but awesome uh and this one and her regular ongoing in the um i really liked this issue because it uh it's kind of a semi climax breather issue for everything that's happened um the previous six issues um, teasing more of Ivy about to show up, which will be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as I like the 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 thesis of the book, which is like how hard it is to become better. Not only yeah. not only with the world's image of you, but then how then you internalize that image. Um, right, and like the the almost, I don't think it's quite self sabotage on Harley's part, but that part of that part of her that like walks right up to recognizing her role in her behavior and taking responsibility, mm-hmm. but really resists that and recognizes that that resistance is in her way, but struggles to push through it. Right, and um, so at the beginning of the series, she uh, starts. A uh, support group with former clowns from the most recent uh, Joker shenanigans. Um, oh, oh, that's another thing I liked about this issue. Uh, her her new friend, I guess, like main supporting character in this series, Kevin. Just Kevin. No, no, no superhero name. Um, he's just Kevin. But he. Uh, He's very much trying to better himself, but then also cares about Harley enough to be like, uh, in this issue, um, they go camping. And Mm -hmm. he's like, she's finding it very hard to relax. And he's like, are you okay? Like, you're doing a bunch. And she tries to snap back and is like, oh, like, you wouldn't ask, uh, you know, you wouldn't ask Batman that. And it's like, well... I mean, I don't know Batman, but, like, I think what you're doing is a lot, because you're running 
uh, running the support group, trying to find Ivy, and like two or three, and like two or three other things she's trying to do all at once. Uh, oh, fight Hugo Strange. There's that yep. too. Also, Keepsake, who I have to mention Keepsake at some point. Oh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to derail the thought, but we will come back oh, to yeah. Keepsake in a moment. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. So, um, God, that's such an amazing idea for a character. Uh, yeah, because she has to deal with Keepsake. So, in her annual, which is technically last issue, um, Keepsake kidnaps her, and it turns out this new guy on the block named Keepsake is, uh, he just goes around to all these different villains, interns for, like, two weeks, jacks their shit, and then paints it orange, and then incorporates it into his arsenal. He's just incredible. Like, he's the the most reprehensible, just, like, every Batman villain hates him because he's just a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, no no new thing where it's, like, they, uh, he, he busts out a, a... Yeah, because in the annual... They go to all the, uh, after Harley's kidnapped, Kevin goes to all the different villains to try and track Keepsake down. And yeah, they're all just like, oh, that piece of shit? Like, yeah, I fired him after a week and he, uh, you know, uh, took my fear toxin, like, or, or, like, Penguin, like, hey, jacked my umbrella. Um, yeah, it's just, and then, and then the only thing he does is just paints it orange. And then that's it. Uh, and in this issue, he has created his own caucus of corruption. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with with knockoff Batman rogues, you have Blaine, yep, the Polyphonist, mm-hmm. Sage Swine, Exclamation, Fellow Frigid, and fuck it, I'll call you Sword Lady. Yeah, yeah, because he uh, can't think of <laughs> can't even think of a cha- of a uh, plagiarized name. It's like, oh dear. Yeah. Sword lady. Like, is that supposed to be Deathstroke's sword? Whose sword is that? Doesn't matter. I don't know. But she does kind of have, like, pointy Catwoman ears. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I, I I really love this series. Um, I've really started to like Harley the, the past couple years, like what they've been doing with her. Um, I recently bought a Harley t-shirt, uh, not t-shirt, sweatshirt. Has an amazing logo on it of hers. Uh, nice. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's a great time to be a Harley fan. Yep. I think my last DC book is Deathstroke Incorporated, number one, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Howard Porter, colors by Hi-Fi, letters by Steve Wands. There is a new shady organization in town called Trust, as in I don't trust them. They're definitely up to some shit. Yep. Um, but in a very almost Amanda Waller kind of way, like we learn at the end of this that they're explicitly targeting super villains mm-hmm. and recruiting superheroes and trying to like rehab Deathstroke's image so that they look totally above the board and can get away with whatever they want. Yeah. And obviously there's something shady that they want, but we don't know yet. Yeah. Well, so I, I, I didn't read this book, but the cover I've the ads I've seen for it, uh I guess the first hero he teams up with is is Black Canary. So he and Black Canary are both recruited to this team. Mm. They are they are teammates like operatives in the field together. Mm. 
and there was actually like a, an issue of Batman Urban Legends that showed her side of getting pulled into it. And it's very much this kind of like, okay, well, she doesn't trust them, and Oracle sends her in to infiltrate. And she definitely doesn't trust Slade, who she's been on teams with before. Mm-hmm. But they work well together, so like, there's that cool dynamic of neither... Each of them knows the other will double-cross, but they also are super competent together. Yeah. What I was not expecting in this book is just the amount of body horror in it. Uh, their first mission is infiltrating this town that is too nice to be real. Uh-huh. And they realize is a front for Hive. Okay. And that it must be some sort of new agent training grounds. Mm-hmm. It is not that. It's bees. Everyone in it is infested with bees. Oh. When, uh, when Slade decides, you know what? We're not going to do this the quiet way. I'm going to take this Batmobile that Trust has gotten its hands on and just crash through the town with my machine guns and blow shit up. Fair. All the bees fly out of all the bodies and start swarming. And then you get the giant bee monsters who their leader, whose name is Honey, has created. (laughs) She makes honey, and if you drink her honey, you become bees. Okay. It is horrifying. It is the most, like, urban body horror thing I've read outside of an issue of Ice Cream Man. Have have you um do you do you read uh Penny Arcade at all? Not in a very, very long time. So do you remember Strip Search? They did that game show for the next online comic. Anyway. I do not. Um this well this is how I discovered this artist. So they had a competition and the final three like, once they whittled it down to the final three, they were like, okay, go create a comic and come back and pitch it to us. And then we'll decide who wins. Um, but one of them, one of the, the final three, she didn't win, but um, she did get her project kickstarted after this show. Uh, it's called The Last Halloween. The artist, uh, her name is Abby Howard. I've followed her ever since. It's amazing stuff. I know that name. She, uh, if you follow Iron Circus, she just won an Ignatz for her new, uh, collection of short stories called, um... That's it. Oh, I'm blanking on what the new collection's called. But, uh, you can read for free her, her, uh, Last Halloween, which, in the first chapter, there's a scene kind of like what you're describing, because the premise is, is, um, uh, the... When a human is born a complimentary monster is born that is your and their life is tied together where when the human dies the monster dies unless the monster kills the human then they become immortal but and there is a uh there's a guy that keeps the monsters in check so they don't just murder all the humans well he's <laughs> he's taken off the board and so Halloween, he's taken off the board on Halloween night, and so all of the monsters just realize, oh, feeding time, <laughs> uh, and then that kicks off the the series. So on the night when you kind of realize what's going on, there's there's a press conference, and there's this guy. I'll, what what makes her style really great is um, 
she does really cartoony people, but then does really highly detailed horror for this series. I love it. So this cartoon guy stands up and like asks the questions. Like I forget what I'm gonna ask, and then he starts. Uh, he's like, oh, and he starts complaining about his head, and he just rips his head open over several panels where these drill bees then fly out of his skull. <laughs> and I'll never forget that uh, that those panels. It's it's like you said, horrific and disturbing, and <laughs> great spooky time yeah. fun uh, for October. Uh, it 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 sounds all those things. How about Berserker number five? I started to segue with bees and Wicker Man, and then I realized that's Nick Cage, not Keanu Reeves. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like I feel like the next time Wicker Man gets remade, it needs to be Keanu Reeves. Uh, fair. I, I can I can see that. Um, although I don't think I don't think we're gonna get quite the delivery out of Keanu of just yelling, "The bees! The bees!" <laughs> well, he's got to make it his own. Yeah. Um. No, yeah, Berserker, uh, I really enjoyed. Um it it almost faltered. It was it was starting to lose me for a second in terms of its vague philosophizing with some of the captions. Mm. Um But I do just kind of like like the premise of um uh this immortal being that just wants to die because he's 90,000 years old. <laughs> and he's like, I just want to go, man. Like, please. Um, but he not only does he not age and heal from almost anything, but, like, he can go into this berserker uh, rage. And so in this issue... Um, because he's seeing to help him control his berserker, like to kind of more point him instead of just destroying everything. Kind of like it's like okay, well these guys over here specifically, and not our guys over here. So he's it's a combination of therapy and medication. <laughs> um, and so his uh, therapist is kind of that's how we've been seeing him look back on his life and starting to remember 90,000 years ago um, when he was first born. Uh, but at the end of this issue, like you, you always get kind of sketchy. The entire series so far, you've gotten, gotten sketchy vibes um, because it's like, well, he does just want to die, but like he's working for the government. So, you know, they want a immortal death machine. Probably more than one. So, like, uh, you know, are they really helping him? And this is kind of more like, uh, not only are they like probably not helping him, but like I think the uh, therapist—it's kind of a, starting to imply that the therapist is, um, yeah, just kind of totally bullshitting him and gaslighting mm -hmm. him to manipulate him to get yeah. what she needs for the research. Um, Very Charles Xavier and Wolverine energy right there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's if Xavier wanted to make a, ma a, a army of Wolverines to just slaughter everyone. <laughs> Speaking of slaughter, Something is Killing the Children, number 19 and 20. 
Yes. So I'm going to be super quick here because I know you didn't get to catch up on this. Yes. Well, well, and then also I'll just say about this series, I have yet to read the first 15 because there's a there's a special collection of all 15 coming out soon. Yeah. But um, through the Discord, they were like, new storyline, pick it up, issue 16. Um, as I've read 16 and 17, and it's it, it the premises is just out just way out there i really i i, I am hooked it yeah from this... I'm, I'm excited for you to read the the like first saga the the archer's archer's peak archer's point saga whatever whatever it's called mm-hmm. this first 15 issues yeah um because these last five are, are are flashback these are actually going back to when erica who is a hunter in those first 15 is first being recruited yeah to the Order of St. George. And I'm not normally a big prequel person. I think because normally it's like, what can we fit in in the empty space around the world building that we've done? Yeah. But this has very intentionally left so many mysteries and so many questions open that actually is taking a step back and learning a little bit more about the bigger picture mm-hmm. is less prequel and more world building. Yeah. And I think this I think this week's issue is the last issue of this arc. And it does a really good job of like introducing all these sort of rules and lore and all of that and then taking a step back. We'll get an issue 21 sometime. I think it may be actually next year before we get that. Yeah. I'm a little behind looking at solicitations, but that would make sense to me. Yeah. But this month we are getting, uh, enter the house. Enter the house of slaughter. Is that what the ongoing is called, or was that just the yeah, no. free comic book day? No, that's the free comic book day was to advertise. Yeah, the the yeah, because that's the maybe it's just called house of slaughter. Yeah, yeah, but, um, yeah. But it is staying kind of in flashback mode following Aaron Slaughter, who we actually saw a lot of in this arc, and who we had seen in the first 15 issues some as well. Mm-hmm. And, like, giving us more of the history of this organization and, like, the politics of it and the the ways that it has evolved over time. I'm super excited for that. Uh, also, I love the artist who is, who is on that book. Um... Uh, it's being drawn by Chris Sheehan, whose work I really dug on the autumnal. Everyone should go buy it. Amazon refused to let it advertise. So go tell Jeff Bezos, fuck you, by buying this amazing comic. The end. I, so just side note, uh, I felt so great when I got my Kindle Fire, right? And to solely pretty much to read comics, just because it's like yeah. it's much nice and bigger than and probably the cheaper tablet you can get. But then I could, none of the comics apps were on there, so that I googled how to sideload, and I was like, alright, well yeah, fuck you, Jeff. Uh, so that felt nice. Yeah. Anytime you can, anytime you can stick it to a billionaire, it's a good day. Yeah, so it's like, I, I know I only cost you a fraction of a fraction of a penny, but it's a fraction of a fraction of a penny you won't have from me. <laughs> Speaking of fractions, Adventure Man number five. I love a good segue. There you go. So I am uh, not familiar at all with this series. So Oh, good. I'm going to sell you very hard on it right now. Okay. 
It is written by Matt Fraction, with pencils and colors by Terry Dodson, inks by Rachel Dodson, and letters by Clayton Cowles. Hmm. Uh, so this is a book that I I remember years ago hearing Fraction talk about at Dragon Con hmm. as something that like he'd be fine letting his kids read back when they were younger. Yeah. And it is very much like superhero pulp set in modern day. Uh, you get some of this just, just from the Dodson's art style. You get some of it from the world building, but it's got this very like art deco vibe mm -hmm. that I dig. And basically it is the, the, the setup for the first arc is this woman who runs this bookstore is totally deaf in one ear, partially deaf in another single mom finds this book full of stories of this old pulp hero called Adventure Man and his team of, like, pulp hero companions. Yep. And one day is able to see their old headquarters that had been hidden because of this curse and this final fight with the servants of this eldritch entity that they were trying to release and that Adventure Man and his team were trying to stop. And essentially, like, everyone was erased from from the world's memory. Mm, except for these and, pulp adventures. Right. Their stories had kind of lived on as pulp adventures, and this character, for whatever reason, and actually, number five explains some of the reasoning and how it all happened, uh, is able to see this building and goes in and gets Adventure Man's powers. And... Like, it's Matt Fraction's sense of humor mm -hmm. in this sort of, it is building to this place where it is almost like Shazam family in terms of rebuilding this team in the modern day and the main character's big extended adopted sibling family getting pulled in and her son getting pulled in and her dad getting pulled in to all this pulp weirdness and like giant nightmare monsters who summon demons and flies like trying to take over new york and pulling back in this forgotten history into reality it gets weird and trippy but it's so grounded in all those like storytelling tropes that it never becomes too much to handle yeah um plus that sense of humor plus just dodson art is some of the best comic art out there i love anything the dodsons do together um, I mean, I feel like most of their work nowadays ends up being variant covers, but this is one of the few ongoings in the last decade that I've seen them on. Uh, I think they did some of Fraction's X-Men run, yeah. and they did, I forget who wrote it, but there was a book called Red One that was this sort of, like, Soviet Captain America, like, it was another, actually, like, two-issue arc series, but each issue was, like, 40 pages. Oh, yeah um for image a while back i just i love their stuff this this book is so right up my alley uh just aesthetically yeah it's no it's i love the premise and i and uh i would i would also love to see what mad fraction uh uh family friendly would be right like that's uh well also especially like <laughs> when he says my kids can read i'm just like i'm not a hundred percent confident that what you consider appropriate for your children would be other people's well considerations to to be fair they were like i remember in this interview or not this interview this panel at dragon con mm. 
I think this was like 2014 or 2015. Yeah. So they would have been significantly younger. And also this was something that clearly people in the audience had heard him talk about at other cons and in other interviews. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's always a lot of back matter in the single issues for this, right? This is actually an idea he had cooking prior to Hawkeye. Yeah. And Hawkeye was 2012. So this is something he's been on a while. Yeah. But yeah, I cannot cannot recommend it enough. The first four issues are out in one like big, oversized, almost like Marvel Treasury edition sized hardcover. They're gorgeous. Um, I mentioned earlier like the the idea of like finding weird places to split an arc. Part of the the structure of this series is like every issue is a big cliffhanger. Everything kind of builds on what has happened. Yeah. So picking this up, there was a part of me that was like. Should this have been in the last trade? I don't know. No, it makes sense why they split it where they did, but this could have been in the last trade. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, it's almost almost arbitrary where they split it, if not for the fact that they talk at the end of this about like clearly here is a plan and here's where they're splitting and here's why they're splitting where they're splitting. Yeah. Yeah, because they have the they have the full outline and it's like, okay, how are we which like won't be yeah. clear to us until it's finished. And they're shooting for a very, like, uh, Bitterroot did this, and Wind is doing this, but basically putting out five issues a year around other projects they do. Yeah. And putting out one big, nice hardcover a year. There you go. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We've got The Good Asian, number five, written by Pornsock Pitchett-Shote, art by Alexander Tefenki, colors by Lee Lafridge, and letters and design by Jeff Powell. You're a history person, right? Uh, yes. I, I, uh, claim to be. We, we shall see if that, uh... <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. no pop quiz or anything here. I just... One of the things I have really liked about this book is the amount of, like, history that goes into the back matter. The sort of, in theater yeah. world, like, dramaturgy of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was just curious what your take on it was, given that, and how much it's rooted in actual, like first and third party accounts of the time yeah it's no it so if you're gonna do historical fiction which like what this is um you should definitely do your homework in terms of world building by research because like you know the stuff is there you just need to to suss it out um i do know that it's it's not something I've thought a lot about. I kind of knew about the Chinese Exclusion Act, but I, uh, I mean, like, kind of most of the country, the, the re-wake up call of like, this was on the books until, uh, very late 20th century <laughs> or yeah. Yeah, much, much later than we would like to admit. Um, and just kind of how that echoed. So, like, um, I, I know one example that we can, um, that I recently found out about. So, um, Bruce Lee grew up in Hong Kong in terms of, like, that's what he remembered. But, and his parents sent him to America when he was 18 because he got in one too many street fights. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the tale I heard is he, he, like, he fucked up the wrong kid. 
and like the cops came to his parents' doors, like, look, if he keeps up, uh, we're gonna have to arrest him. Um, so then they sent him to America. But that was basically Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Basically, but what the reason they were so easily able to do it was because his father was a, a Cantonese opera performer. And um, San Francisco has a gigantic uh, Chinatown. And so <laughs> he, he was actually performing um, in San Francisco uh, and brought his wife along, Bruce Lee's mother, and he was born in San Francisco. So he was – so he already had the papers to just hightail it as soon as they wanted him to. But – because I think that would have technically been right after or, like, right before it got repealed. Yeah. Um, and so, like, and so like the main reason he was so easily able to do it was because he was he was a citizen. Um, so, yeah, the, the echoes uh, of it did, because this is set in the 30s, the Chinese exclusion, that was the 1870s. Um, and yeah, just how long of a of an echo that was. Uh, another a, just a plug because I want a season three. Um, an, uh, another great historical fiction to write about is to to watch um, about the beginnings of the Chinese Exclusion Act is uh, Warrior on HBO, which is mm. which is from Bruce Lee's notes for what became Kung Fu, but it was very the. 70s show with David Carradine, but uh, that had vastly been changed from what he had pitched to Warner Brothers, yeah. and they stole. Um, but uh, his daughter Shannon used his notes, and they produced and have made two seasons of much more what was his original intent, which is uh, I didn't know that that existed. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's uh it's great. Um. The fight choreography is amazing. The uh, main actor is because the, the the main actor is playing who Bruce Lee would have played, but um, so he he throws a little Bruce Lee isms in there. Like at one point, he sits on a dude after knocking him out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so in terms of that, the good Asian, it's I I think it's it. It's a very important book because it the best way to learn history is not to remember dry dates, but to think of it as a story. Um, and so if you tell a good story, then history sticks really well. Yeah. So what I really liked about this being a noir is um, a key part of noir is like the, de the noir detective is in between, right? He's not – He's not in the underground, but he's not on the full side of the cops either. He's like in this in between spot, and that's and that's what um, uh, the main character in this series is, um, especially having been adopted by uh, very rich white people after his mother was murdered. Yeah, uh, and this issue like really gets into that history and his relationship with the family, and actually gives us. I think the clearest look at his personal life. Yeah. Most of any issue so far. Most definitely. So the, 
it was weird for me because I accidentally read issue five, then issue four. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Um, but it also didn't hurt it that much because at the end of issue four, um, his adopted brother dies or not dies, gets killed by the yeah. guy they're, they're chasing. So it turns out the guy they're chasing is, uh, turns out to be this white guy. But then as soon as that revelation happens, his, his, uh, adopted brother gets a, an ax to the neck. Um, and, uh, that's the end of last issue, and then 98% of this issue is him thinking a- back al- along his life with his adopted brother. Um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, then, like, the last page and a half is like, alright, well, gotta hide his body, and then, oh shit, there's a, <laughs> I get discovered. Yeah. And then, individual. There's some really cool, like, lettering design work in this issue in those last couple of pages, too, where, like, mm-hmm. As everything he has worked for is kind of unraveling, we see the the thought boxes kind of unspool and fall out of kilter, and just a cool formal thing that you can only do in comics. Yeah. Yeah. To... All right, we're going to be super quick on these last two, because I have to go record another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Inferno number one, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Valerio Skitty, colors by David Curiel, letters by Joe Sabino, designed by Tom Muller. Here is what I will say as a person who has read every issue of X-Men so far. Mm-hmm. A lot happens in this book, and it is both surprising in a lot of ways, and also fits perfectly in a lot of ways. I think this is a lot about politics and changing of the guard, both literally in terms of the book, but also this is Hickman, the end of Hickman's tenure as he hands off all of Krakoa to other writers. And I think it will continue past him, but I think it's going to look very different at the end of this. Yeah, so I'm, I read this issue, um, I'm about two months behind total, but, um, the, what I really liked about it is I, I, I do feel like you can kind of pick it up, uh, solo, because, like, I, it, it helps that I've read the uh, very beginning, because I think most of the players were from that first arc before the first X-Men one came in. Yeah, one of the things that's interesting about this is, I'd say 75% of this issue, you could pick up just having read House of X and Powers of Ten. Yeah. The other 25%, I think you get through context, Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of players who you see sort of where they're at now, who we've seen show up in other books, like Horticulture shows up at one point. My favorite supervillain team of team of octogenarian uh, scientist ladies. Yeah, you see them dealing with Orcus and Orcus being jerks, and all these kind of moving parts start to come together, mm-hmm. but in ways that like are almost set dressing. Because what it's really about is political upheaval on Krakoa. It's about Moira wanting to come out of hiding. It's about mm. Mystique wanting destiny to be brought back. Yeah. Which I guess, like, maybe she never died or, like... Because I can't imagine that they... So, I mean, I guess that's the the biggest crux of this 
is that yeah she wanted to is that uh she wanted to take Mo yeah Moira wanted to take Destiny off the board so she was like demanding that from Charles and Magneto and they're like okay fine but then at the end of the issue uh they're like okay well we need to fill these empty spots on the council and then Mystique is like I have a nominee and <laughs> out walks Destiny which I was not expecting, <laughs> uh, but I'm curious to see where this goes after that. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, shit's gonna hit the fan, definitely, in terms of, because yeah. like you said, it's been a utopia, but a lot of people have put their wants aside so much that that utopia feels like it's about to crack. Yeah, and there are a bunch of other pieces of X-Men we haven't talked about on the show yet, not the least of which is... I mean, it's three books the, a week. Uh, like, it's a well, lot. Well, and like, we took two weeks off, so, like, we haven't talked about the whole Onslaught thing that just was the capstone for Way of X and sets up another book that's upcoming. So I'm sure we'll catch up on some of this stuff on later episodes. Last book, last book is Thor, number 17. Mm -hmm. Written by Donnie Cates, art by Michelle Bandini, colors by Matthew Wilson, and letters and design by Joe Sabino. I need I need more Freya and yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, oh Angela. Yeah, there we yeah, go. Yeah. In in this book, just all the time. Yeah, it's no. That was that was definitely great. Um, Angela's thesis here is get your shit together, Thor, or I'm taking the throne, which I don't want to do. But God help me, I will not let you as guardians burn down the universe again. Yeah. And I'm like kind of rooting for her to do it just because I want to see her in charge. Yeah. Well, I loved I love the big dick energy where she's like shorter than Thor and like they're getting in each other's faces and then she just uh yeah, then she says, Don't forget, little brother. Like <laughs> I have the like I have the claim to the throne, you young whippersnapper. Uh <laughs> the the real star of this issue, of course, is Freya's battle cat, complete with mounted turrets. Yes, that's uh that's that's the dream. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah it's a good chunk of this is family yeah family drama where it's just like thor is failing as a king in certain aspects odin of course is utterly failed as a king as a father as a husband um and yeah angela just steps in the middle it's like all right look y'all shit is fuck it up uh, Asgard's magic, which is gonna fuck up everything else, and, like, heaven's gonna have to clean up, which I don't wanna do! So, like... <laughs> yeah. Um, what I... It, just, like, my last thought on this series in general, is you... This and, um... I read the, the God Butcher arc of the previous run. It's the first time, especially this run, the first time I feel like he feels like a god and not mm -hmm. and not just like oh an alien technically alien superhero but it's like no he's a he's he is a god he is another higher being like he's on a different level yeah um and you've really felt that this book uh this series i feel i agree all right very quickly <clears throat> Very quickly, this week's books. Arkham City, The the Order of the World, number one of six. Uh, I'm here 100% for this creative team. Dan Waters writes, Danny is the artist. Colorist is Dave Stewart, and letters are by Aditya Bidikar. This is the same team that did uh, 
the really great horror book, the title of which I always blink on when I want to name it. Um, it's a great team. I love them all so much. I cannot wait for this. This is about a group of Arkham inmates who have escaped after a day and are just kind of loose in the city. We have the 80th anniversary 100-page super spectacular for Wonder Woman from just a whole slew of like a dozen different creative teams. Mm -hmm. Amazing Spider-Man number 75. The new creative team takes over Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, the bullpen for the book is now Kelly Thompson, Saladin Ahmed, Cody Ziegler, Zeb Wells, and Patrick Gleason. This first issue is written by Zeb Wells. Art is by Patrick, Patrick Gleason. Colors are by Marcio Meniz, and letters are by Alejandro Sanchez. Colors are by Marcio Meniz and Alejandro Sanchez, and letters are by Joe Caramagna. Uh, and this is like Peter and Ben Riley and corporate sponsorship for Spider-Man. And I don't know. I just, I love this creative team so much. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely second uh, that one. Um, I'm excited to be excited about Spider-Man because I've heard such mixed things about uh, Spencer's run. Hey, I haven't told you anything mixed about Spencer's run. What I <laughs> Sometimes I save my spicy takes for JD's Discord. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, we have Eternal Celestia number one, which is another one-shot between arcs of Kieran Gillen's Eternals run. Uh, Gillen writes this one with art by Kay Zama, colors by Matthew Wilson, and letters by Clayton Cowles. This issue is the Eternals versus the Avengers of 1 million BC, who we've seen in Jason Aaron's Avengers run. Uh, oh, well, speaking of, of Thor, because that's uh, Odin is yeah. part of that. Um, yeah. And Thor's mother, the Phoenix. Yeah, I, I haven't read that revelation. I've, I've heard about it. It's like, hmm. Uh, but yeah, I've, I'm all of the Eternals issues have been great. You should pick that up. Yeah. Definitely. And finally, Animorphs Volume 2, The Visitor, based on the novels by K.A. Applegate and Michael Grant, adapted by Chris Grind, who is currently waiting for me on another Zoom call. <laughs> uh, Chris is wonderful. I have read this already. It's fantastic. Go read it. Go buy it. Get the thing. Do the thing. Support this. I want more Animorphs graphic novels. Thank you for joining us this week. I will see you again next week. Next time with JD as well. Yes, um... So I guess, uh, yeah, with that, um, we have a podcast coming out this Friday, our new episode for Fables and Reflections on wherever you get your podcasts. What are you talking about in this one? Uh, this one is, uh, so it, I get it post Friday the 8th, um, and it is going to be about uh, Sandman Volume 1. Um, awesome. Speaking of the Lock and Key Sandman crossover. Um, so yeah, and we also have a, uh, an announcement on this episode, so definitely, uh, definitely check it out, and yeah, you'll be listening to me here again next week, along with, uh, uh, my, yeah, uh, partner in crime, JD, for... Yeah. As always, we would like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. Panelology is a member of the Certain POV Network. If you're looking for other cool podcasts about popular culture, go to certainpov.com. 
You can visit us at panelologypodcast.com. Support us at patreon.com slash panelology. Get merch at bit.ly slash panelologymerch, capital B, capital M. Or send us questions, comments, or whatever at bit.ly slash mailbag, capital P, capital M. I'm Alex. And I'm Angela. Go read comics. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.